Turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We will be back in this uh, very, very precious uh, passage of Scripture once again today. And uh, trust that the Lord will provide for us that which is uh, an encouragement as we follow him day by day. This chapter opens with a testimony that we who are trusting in Christ, uh, we who are in Christ are to walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Uh, So our sanctification is in view. Our justification is very much the subject of uh, earlier chapters. Uh, Now, um, along with chapter 6 and 7, I guess, as well, but certainly chapter 8 opens uh, with a consideration of our sanctification, our walking in the Spirit. But the chapter acknowledges that in that walk, uh, there will be suffering, Uh, there will be trouble, Uh, there will be weakness, of one sort or another. And so the Holy Spirit, in giving us the words uh, in this chapter, is endeavoring uh, to encourage us in that walk so that those times of difficulty, those times of suffering, which are certain to be ours, even walking in the Spirit. Okay, so that's the context, right? We're walking in the Spirit And even while we're walking in the Spirit, here's this suffering. And again, the suffering could be of any sort. It could be physical difficulty, right? Health issues. Uh, It could be uh, financial pressures. It could be, you know, unexpected calamity that just totally turns your world upside down, a fire or an earthquake or whatever it is, right? Um, It could be just the the conflicts within uh, families, or it could be, you know, outside uh, sin against us. So there's all kinds of sources of trouble and suffering, difficulty that even people who are walking in the Spirit encounter. And so the Holy Spirit is has given us these words to encourage us in the midst of that suffering. Help was given to us by the hope of our inheritance, right? That was spoken of, the glory that should follow. The hope of our glorification is mentioned. The hope of the redemption of our bodies, right? So all of this really under that idea of our inheritance, (coughs) uh, we are not living for this life alone. And so when, when we get to the next... And we look back and consider even the suffering will seem as nothing. right? Not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. In another passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he talks about our light affliction right, that we experience now being compared to that far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory which will be ours, right? So that is for our encouragement, the consideration of our inheritance. Secondly, we saw in verse 26, likewise, 
for our encouragement, the testimony of the ministry of the third person of the Godhead, God the Holy Spirit, and his praying for us, his interceding for us. Uh, and, and the intercession that may go beyond words, beyond that which words are fully capable of putting voice to, but an intercession that will always be, verse 27, according to the will of God. And so that for our encouragement. There may be times when we don't even know what to pray. We don't know, turn right, turn left. I mean, what do we pray? Right? Because of those circumstances just overwhelming us. And so the encouragement for us, a rock for us to stand on by faith, is the testimony that God himself, and in particular that person of the Godhead who dwells within you, as a child of God, is interceding for you. Right? You are not forgotten. Right? God is praying for you. And he is praying for you in accordance with his own will. And that kind of prayer gets heard. And that kind of prayer gets answered. Right? First John chapter 5. Our kind of praying, when we pray in accordance with his will, it gets heard. And it gets answered. And so, how much more so when it's one of the members of that triune Godhead who are praying for us. And so that for our encouragement. What we are looking at this morning is really in the context of that Spirit's intercession um, for us in accordance with the will of God. And uh, we're going to focus on verse 28 Uh, This verse that is uh, so familiar to Christian people, it's a verse that often gets uh, referenced, especially in times of trouble, and rightly so, because here we are reminded that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. And so I say that this verse really rests in the context of the Spirit's intercession because uh, his intercession is mentioned in verse 26. Verse 27, uh, God the Father, knowing the mind of the Spirit, is in view. And that reference to the intercession being according to or in keeping with, corresponding with the will of God. And then this testimony of all things working together for good, especially for those who are called according to God's purpose. And then further explanation, verse 29 for whom God did foreknow, God also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. So that's his purpose, right? That conformity to the image of his Son. And then you have this uh, sketch from start to finish in verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, 
Them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Right? And so, so there you have a testimony from the 30,000 foot level uh, of the will of God for every child of his. Right? Uh, this calling, this justifying, this glorifying. This is the will of God. This is the purpose of God. And so we who are in that number, right, whom the Lord has called and justified and will one day glorify, we have this assurance that God's will will not be thwarted. It will not be set aside by anything. Right? So there are no circumstances that you will face or experience in the course of your walking in the Spirit as a child of God. There are no enemies or foes that you will encounter, human or spiritual, who will have the ability to set aside the will of God for you, which is ultimately your conformity to the Son of God, to Jesus Christ, to his image, and your glorification, right? your corruption putting on incorruption. There is nothing that you will encounter that will set that purpose aside right? or that will hinder uh, the coming to fruition of the will of God as it is revealed in Scripture. Right? So this for our encouragement. Right? So it's in that context that we have this verse 28 that is reminding us of something that we should know. Right? We know, it says, these things. Now, <clears throat> so the title that I've given then to the message this morning is an exceeding great and precious promise. I'm borrowing from Peter, right? His language as he speaks of God's promises that way. Of course, Peter is referring to all of God's promises when he says that, but I'm focusing on this one uh, that is here in Romans 8:28. It really stands as a promise. This is a certainty, right? Something that we can know with certainty. And so it is a promise from God that in the end, good will be the result. Good will be the result. We'll have more to say about that, obviously, as we take this apart. All right, so we are trying to uh, set this before us as a way to encourage us and, and really to remind us that as the Spirit intercedes for us, uh, it is this kind of uh, direction that the Spirit will go, right? It, it is this kind of work uh, that the Spirit uh, is asking on, for on our behalf. So in the first place, let us note to whom is the promise directed? So let's answer that question. To whom is the promise directed? There are two statements that have uh, an answer to that question. They are not uh, two separate statements as such. They are separate statements, but, but they're looking at the same people from a different angle. right? On the one hand, it is described first as 
to them that love God. So the promise is directed for those who love God. And John is very, uh, he puts it just quite plainly uh, and very succinctly in his first epistle when he says this, we love because he first loved us. So when it says that this promise is directed to those who love God, there is not anyone who loves God who wasn't first loved by God. Right? In other words, this is our response to God. Our love for God is our response to God. God has loved us. We have come to know that fact, right? And we have responded to him. And so, really, uh, the whole idea of um, the response of faith in the gospel is what is packed into that little description. This promise is for those who love God. Well, who are those people? Those are the people who have rightly responded to God's love for them. God's love, as chapter 5 reminded us, uh, that God commends or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you heard that good news, that he died for you, and that dying for you, right, there's this gift of God that is offered to you. It's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 6, right? The wages that you deserve for your sin, death. But because Christ died for you, though you were a sinner, though you were deserving of death, this gift of eternal life is offered to you if you will repent and believe, right? And so there's this good news of the gospel, this love of God testified to us that we have heard and that we have rightly responded to in repentance and faith. Again, our justification is on the basis of faith alone. That's the whole argument of the latter part of Romans 3 and 4 and 5, right? Uh, the example of Abraham uh, who believed God and that was counted to him for righteousness. Justification is by faith, all right? So in saying that this promise is for those who love God, it's, it's gathering up that right response to the gospel message, to the love of God. Uh, that is in view there. And so this promise is directed to those who love God. This is um, really, it's in keeping with various other statements uh, that Scripture makes for those who love God. Uh, turn, Keep your finger here in Romans, but turn forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And here, uh, Paul leans on the prophet Isaiah when he testifies, verse 9, that as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. 
but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. Right? And so uh, here are these things that, that the human heart and mind, the human imagination cannot conceive of. And they are for those who love God. And God's spirit has revealed them unto us. That's the idea behind the promise in Romans 8. Here are some things that you would never imagine apart from the revelation of God. For example, that good can come out of that disaster Nobody would have thought that. They just see disaster. They see no good. Right? That's part of what God has revealed to us. That good, truly good, can and will come out of those times of difficulty and disaster. Turn to the book of James, chapter 1. And we've noted this in... Some of our other recent messages. And so the Lord is bringing it to mind yet again. And hopefully, uh, yet again, it will be an encouragement to us. These times of difficulty, these times of our weakness, are described by James as the testing of our faith. And in James chapter nine, one, chapter one, verse twelve, we are told, Blessed is the man that endures temptation. And folks, that's that's what the encouragement of Romans eight is intended to produce in us, that we would endure those times of difficulty, that we would not fall. Right, that we would stand firm and endure and persevere and be steadfast, use whatever synonym you want to use. That's the point. Right? That's the point of the Lord encouraging your heart with the revelation that is given to us in this wonderful eighth chapter of Romans. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, it doesn't deny the trial, folks. It acknowledges the trial. But when he is tried and endures, endures, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. And folks, the good that comes of it in the end, ultimately, the good that comes of it is the crown of life. Right? It's when this life merges into eternal life. Right? It may be that you have to wait till then to see the good. It may be. And for some of God's people, from the time of trouble to the crown of life was very short. Um, When we were getting ready this morning, um, my wife was listening to another sermon. And uh, I happened to be in the room 
when she was listening to that, and reference was made to some of the record in Fox's Book of Martyrs and the English Reformation and some of the individuals that died for their testimony of faith in Jesus Christ during the reign of Bloody Mary. And for them, from the time of trouble to the crown of life, it's a short walk to the stake. But good, good is what God used that for in their lives. Good is what God used it for in the lives of so many others that have heard of their testimony of faith and have had their own hearts encouraged. Right, So it may be that you will see the good in this present life. Many of God's people have seen that. Yes, it may be that you will see the good in this present life. But even if you don't, for certain you will see the good when you're handed that crown of life. Chapter 2 of James. James chapter 2. Again, dipping into the middle of a passage, this isn't the main emphasis of the passage, but it says this in passing. Verse 5, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to them that love him? It's the same idea. Crown of life, kingdom. It's the, they're synonyms. For that, when we step into the presence of the Lord and are with him in his glory, right? So there is this good that awaits. These promises are to those that love him. And of course, that love for him is not you know, something that we manufacture within ourselves as such. It is our response to his love for us, testified to in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So to whom is the promise directed? Romans chapter 8. It is for those who love God. And again, I would say, right now, this second, what time is it? Did I set this forward? Yes. (laughs) Okay, so 10.51 and 45 seconds on uh, March 12th, 2023. Right this second, do you love God the way you ought to love God? Truly, 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 fully, 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 with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, right? I mean, we know that that's how we ought to love Him, right? And and in a sense, we can hopefully say, you know, I'm not really aware of any corner that I'm reserving, but but probably none of us would, would say, oh yeah, sure. I mean, you know, it's like the Apostle Paul, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't arrived. I am very aware that I've got to forget the things that are behind. I've got to reach forward to what is before. I've got to keep pressing for the mark. That's Paul in his maturity when he's in prison, right? Philippians chapter 3. Right, so, so 
we would not be so bold, I hope, to say, oh yeah, I love God the way I should love God. So we would always be conscious of some deficiency in our love for God. right? Uh, always that we should press for more. Let not that discourage you when you think of this statement in Romans 8.28. Right? Uh, the Lord has written this to people whom he is sanctifying, whom he is in the process of sanctifying. And he has written it to us for our encouragement in the middle of that process. Right? It is not saying that the condition for you to have this promise is that you must perfectly love God. That is not what it is saying. Right? But, but surely anyone who has heard of his love for them in the gospel and has turned to confess him as Lord, that person can rightly say, you know, I may not fully love him as I ought and as I am working towards, but I can say, I love him. I love him. What he has done for me, I love him. How can I but love him? Right. And so that is the sense in which I think we ought to understand this. It is not to say you must perfectly love him because I can't this side of eternity. And so this word is for me, it's for you, this side of eternity to encourage our hearts. We have that love for him because he has loved us. And so we can lay hold of this promise too, right? That all things work together for good for me because I love him. But there is another description here in this verse uh, describing those to whom the promise is directed. So back in Romans 8, 28, it is to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. And so here, those that love him, that's speaking of us from the perspective of ourselves, right? It's our response of love to him. But when you speak of us, same people, from divine perspective, they are, we are, I am, you are, if you are a child of God, called according to his purpose. He has called. He's called me. He's called you. There's not a one of us who is a true child of God whom he hasn't called. Right? And so you can think of us this way. Okay? We exist in relationship to him. Every creature exists in relationship to him. Right? But what what this is focusing on is that there are those of his creatures 
right? Whom he is calling to himself for salvation. Whom he is calling to himself for glorification. And there is, uh, um, the gospel is a message that is to be preached to whom? To the whole world, every nation, right? So all human beings are to hear the gospel message. It is God's intent that, that the call, as it were, the invitation of the gospel be proclaimed to every human being, right? Um, and, and in that sense, salvation is made available to every human being, right? The Bible testifies to that. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has made propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Right? And yet, what we find here is this called according to his purpose is really expanded on in the next two verses. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Verse 30, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. There's that word again. And uh, whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now what's interesting here is that in verses 29 and 30, who's the subject of those verses? little grammar lesson. Who's the subject? Who's the person doing something? Verse 29, whom he did foreknow, he also called, uh, sorry, he predestinated. I'm one verse ahead. Okay, so he predestinated. Uh, verse 30, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. Right? Those pronouns are the subject. That's the actor, the person doing something in those verses. And of course, those pronouns are referring to God. Right? God is the one doing something here. Right? So what's in view is what God is doing. First, there was that, from our perspective, we are responding to him, right, in love, which implies repentance and faith as well, right? But from his perspective, he's doing something too. And what is emphasized in this passage, is it our perspective that's emphasized, or is it God's perspective that is emphasized? It's God's perspective. He gets more airtime, right? There are more words in this passage talking to us about God's perspective. And so we are wanting, the Holy Spirit is wanting especially to emphasize for us God's perspective. And in God's perspective, narrowing it down to those who have rightly responded to the revelation of his love. Because that was given first, right? Those who love him was stated first. 
So that that narrows everything. There's a whole segment of humanity that is cut out of the picture with that statement. Are you with me? Because there are a lot of people that don't love him. They despise him. If they think of him at all. Right? They attempt to ignore him. When you love somebody, you don't ignore them. Husbands, take note. <laughs> okay, we tend to be bad about, oh, I'm just so busy, right? You know, blinders on. You know? You love somebody, don't ignore them. Okay. Um Ask me how I'm doing sometime, okay? Just because I need poke too, okay? Um, ask me how I'm doing. Are you ignoring your wife? No. Okay. Seriously, folks. Okay, so, so when it says this is for those who love him, we've narrowed our consideration. Our field of view has been narrowed. Then it goes on to talk about divine perspective. So we have already narrowed the field of view to those who have responded to the gospel, right? So in in the second statement in verse 28, those uh, who are the called according to his purpose, it's, it's already been narrowed to talk to us about believers. Okay, so, so we, we don't have the whole of humanity in view. This is not to say that there, there is not a general call from God that is to be extended to all of humanity. That's, that's taught in other places. Okay? Right here, we're not talking about the general call to humanity. We're talking about God in relationship to believers, right? Those who have responded to the gospel. And so this is a true statement for everyone who has responded to the gospel. They are called according to his purpose, right? And his purpose is, verse 29, Christ-likeness. His purpose is, verse 30, glorification, right? We are called by God Almighty according to his purpose. And so here I am, And I have heard the gospel. And I have repented of my sin. And I have called in faith on the Lord Jesus to save me. I have received him by faith because he promised in the gospel. And now I am endeavoring as I read my Bible and I am told what it is that pleases God. I'm told what it is that I should do and what I should not do. And so by God's grace, I am endeavoring to step forward in my walk and follow Christ and follow that instruction and do the will of God or to use the language of Colossians chapter 1, to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, right? According to his glorious power unto all perseverance and long-suffering, steadfastness and long-suffering, however that goes there, right? with joyfulness, giving thanks, all of that. That's the way I'm endeavoring to walk. And along the way come these hard times and these trials and the circumstances. And some of it's just the general 
you know, effects of the fall that I'm a part of humanity of and it hits me too, even as a child of God. Sometimes it's specifically because of my testimony of Christ or whatever, right? And, and these hard things, these troubling things hit me. And what the Lord is wanting to encourage us with is this perspective. He has called me according to his purpose. And his purpose is that one day I will be in my character like his son. That I will be holy as he is holy. That is his purpose. His purpose is that I will be glorified in his presence one day. That's where I'm going. And so I need to keep that in mind when I'm facing these hard times. This is not the end. This is not the end. This is but another step toward the end. Right? There is a God in heaven and he has called me. And who can stand against him is the point. Right? His purpose will be accomplished in us. His purpose will be fulfilled in us. Now it's interesting. Let's go back to Romans chapter 1. Paul talked about those who were called here in Romans chapter 1. You remember that, right? Ha! 60-some messages ago, whatever. No, you don't remember. But um, Romans chapter 1, verse 6, he's writing to these people, among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called saints. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this idea that we are called saints. We are called holy ones. That's the way God calls us. What he calls us. And the way he calls us. Uh, turn ahead to First Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2. And here in verse 12, actually verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children, that you would walk worthy of God who has called you unto his kingdom and glory. So again, we are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? He's, he's, his purpose is to give you that kingdom and his glory. That's his purpose. Right? Uh, his purpose is not that this trouble would destroy you. His purpose is not that this trouble would interrupt everything. No. He's going to give you that kingdom. He has called you to his kingdom in glory. Peter reminds us, you don't have to turn there, but he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so in Romans 8, verse 30, we have that wonderful testimony of purpose, whom he also called, them he also justified, whom he justified, them he also glorified. 
And the idea of being called according to his purpose surfaces much uh, in our New Testament. Uh, Paul, writing to Timothy, says of God who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, it's not dependent upon me or you, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Folks, again, that's why God's perspective is so helpful. God is eternal. God is above time, right? And time cannot thwart the purposes of the eternal God. Right? Time is but a tool that the eternal God uses to accomplish his purposes. So here you and I are, and we're here, and we're in this little slice of time. But this little slice of time is for us everything. It's all I've got. I didn't exist before 63 years ago. This is all I have at this point, right? So it's so helpful for me to be lifted out of my present circumstances and to look down as if looking at it from God's perspective. That's the point. And from God's perspective, you've got eternal God. 63 years. That's nothing. Whatever happens in 63 years, folks, that's not even a speed bump for God. That doesn't slow him down a bit. I'm speaking as a fool, right? But, but really, to, to put it in perspective, that's the idea. Lift yourself out of time for a minute. You've got to live in time, so don't do it long or we'll do something with you, right? <laughs> but lift yourself out of time just for a minute to remind yourself of God's eternal perspective. And be encouraged in your walk with him, right? That God who inhabits eternity, is able to deal with you and your circumstances in time so that his purposes are accomplished. Right? That's the idea. All right? uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul, uh, really, he, he elaborates much upon this idea here in Ephesians. Um, what's interesting is the book of Ephesians, the, the character of the Godhead that is emphasized in the book of Ephesians is largely God the Father. Right? So it's very uh, interesting to keep that in mind as you're reading uh, the book of Ephesians. But notice verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as God has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, by Jesus Christ unto himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Right? And so you have this, this perspective of God uh, from before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and without blame. That's Christ-likeness. 
before him, the implication is in his presence, that's your glorification. Right? These are the purposes of God. And we are reminded of that. He's called us to this. Uh, again, verse 11. In whom, that is in Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance. Romans 8 earlier talked about that. An inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will. Folks, from divine perspective, there's only the will of God, in a sense. Right? Now, obviously, in his creatures, angelic, fallen angelic or otherwise, there are other wills, and those wills are attempted to, they, they attempt to operate and exert themselves out from under his will, but he lets them go, but only so far. Only so far. Think Satan coming before God and talking about Job. And the reason why Satan hadn't attacked Job before, Satan's own words, you've set a hedge about him. Okay, So the Lord says, okay, you can take all of his stuff, but don't touch him. So what did Satan do? Took all of his stuff. Did Satan touch him? Not then, because God didn't give him permission. Are you following me? Okay. Then Satan comes back and he says, oh, well, it's because you won't let me touch him. Okay, touch him. Just don't take his life. So again, the Lord is putting the boundaries. Now, that's not to say that God is the author of evil. Folks, again, God did not create evil. God is only good. It's creature in their rebellion against God that is the source of evil. God is not the source of evil. But God, being God, manages even the evil. Right? That's why he is able to work all things together for good for you. Because he's God. Right? And he works, as it says here in Ephesians 1.11, all things after the counsel of his own will. Ultimately. <clears throat> so we have that by way of encouragement. And so we have the testimony of Scripture that God's purpose is to present us to himself holy and without blame. Holy and without blemish. That is his purpose. And he is going to accomplish that purpose. And what is interesting, as we've seen in other messages, right, that even our suffering, even those times of suffering, they are intended by God for our sanctification. That the result of our having gone through that deep water is that we come out more like Christ. Right? He will use all of those things to make us more like Christ. And so we have the people to whom the promise is given. How's that? We're out of time. <laughs> uh, but I hope that you've heard enough 
right, to encourage your heart until the next time, the Lord willing. We will pick up uh, with the substance of the promise and how the promise is known uh, because it says we know these things. So how is that known? And so, Lord willing, we will pick up with that next time. Uh, But I trust that this has been enough to really uh, challenge you Uh, In the present circumstances that you are facing, the challenging uh, uh, things, the trial of your faith, to think of his love for you, demonstrated in the cross, right? proven in the cross, think of his love for you and think of his purpose for you. And that purpose is an eternal purpose and it is eternal good. It is eternal good. And nothing, nothing that you will experience in this life, however hard it is, nothing will thwart God's good purpose for us. I don't know about you, but I am so glad to be a child of God. He is my Father, and He will not fail. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for revealing yourself to us. And I pray that you would help us as your children, Lord, those, of, those who have heard the gospel, have repented of our sin and called in faith upon the name of Jesus to save us. Help us as your children, Lord, to be assured in our hearts of divine perspective on the troubles and trials and challenges of life. They will fall across our path. We will experience them, some to an exceeding great degree. But even then, we have an exceeding great and precious promise that even those things work together for good. And so, Lord, encourage our hearts. Help us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For we know that our labor will not be in vain in the Lord. Our following of the Spirit, our walking in the Spirit, our pursuing sanctification, our pressing for the mark, our reaching for the prize, it will not be in vain in the Lord. And so, Lord, encourage our hearts as your children. And we pray that you would strengthen us to the task at hand. And may you be glorified because we have believed your word And we are living in light of its counsel and promise. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.